John. Uh, we're continuing with a, a Easter series. That reminds me, the children are dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, last week, we, we entitled the sermon, uh, The Righteousness of God, or God's Righteousness at the Cross. Uh, this morning, we want to look at God's love uh, being displayed uh, at the cross. So we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Uh, we'll be looking primarily at verses 9 through 10, uh, but let me just read for you verses 7 through 12. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever keeps his love, uh, whoever loves, has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, the love of and this is the love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would uh, be with us here today, that you would speak to us from your word. I pray that we would have love for one another, that we would have love uh, for our neighbors as well. But I pray most of all that your love, which you showed us in Jesus Christ, uh, would be perfected in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's an old uh, song, older song, old-ish song. Uh, I guess it's kind of a, a rock song. And it has a famous line in it, uh, more than a feeling. Uh, perhaps you remember it. It's, it's, it's a person singing about uh, sort of an, an old love and how when a certain song uh, comes on, it, it's the love that got away. And, and there's a vividness when, when he hears this song and, and that love that he feels again, those memories that he feels. Uh, it's, it's more than a feeling. It becomes uh, kind of, of tangible in a way. Many people do think of love as something that really is primarily uh, a feeling. Uh, One of the reasons I think that divorce is so prevalent in our culture today is is people rely on love as a feeling. And when those feelings ebb and flow in marriage, uh, and particularly when they they slide away, rather than being committed to the love and cultivating the feelings, we assume that if the feelings are low, if the feelings are gone, the love must be gone, and so there's a good cause for divorce. That's the way uh, our world thinks. A lot of times, however, people relate to the love of God as only uh, a feeling. And sometimes you have, have Christians that when their emotions are very high, they feel the love of God very deeply, they're very touched by it. When their emotions are very low, they're driven by those same feelings and they wonder if God loves them. And maybe you've uh, experienced some of those struggles in your life uh, where you go through a period of depression, of discouragement, of, of not feeling like God is there, and so you wrestle with whether or not God loves you. Feelings are something we are not to rely on. In a similar way, sometimes you'll run into people who are 
upbeat in their spirituality. And sometimes they're not even Christians, but they feel like God loves them. And because they feel spiritual or they feel feelings of love or being in touch with the divine, they assume that everything is okay in their life. They assume that they know God. Uh, We're not to rely on our feelings. Also, our feelings can lie to us. Love and the love of God is more than a feeling, and it's displayed to us primarily in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not to rely on our feelings. That's not to say feelings aren't important, but we're not to rely on them. We're also not to let our feelings lie to us. And our main point this morning is that God sent his son to die for us because of his love for us. So there is an objective standard to knowing whether God loves us. There is an immovable place that we can look at when our feelings ebb and flow, rise and fall, that we look at the cross of Christ and we can know with objective confidence that God genuinely loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. And we need in this Easter season to be reminded of the power of the love of God. First this morning, God's love is manifest in God sending His Son. So we see in this passage, particularly in verse 7 and 8, that all true love is from God because God is love. Verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, believers are supposed to love one another, and and the church that John is writing to in 1 John, we think there were some people that had left the church. There were clearly some people that had professed to be believers and had some kind of hate or lack of love in them, and it got so bad they weren't walking with God, they weren't obeying the commands of God, they separated from the church. We know they were also teaching false doctrine. And John goes back to basics and says, if you do not love, you are giving proof positive that despite your claims, you do not know God. Now, we're not talking about a Christian who struggles with loving someone, but genuinely has love in their heart. We're talking about someone, people that were turning away and hating fellow believers and and callously Uh, abandoning the church and still claiming to know God. If you know God, you will show love because God is love. All real and true and lasting love flows ultimately from God. The kind of sacrificial love that we are to have for one another in the church comes from God. Because God has shown it to us. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a statement, I think wisely, that he notes that when it says here that God is love, uh, it does not mean the reverse is true. That love is God. And then we run into people like that all the time in our day and age. That they assume that God is love and so this, the reverse must be true. Love is just another form of God. 
And so some people, they don't worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They just worship Him as this divine being, this wonderful, warm feeling of love. And if we can just connect to that, the world uh, would be a better place. 1 John 2, 9 and 10 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Not only does true love come from God, but God is love, and only God is perfect in his love. And so this passage, this motivation for us to love others, is grounded in the character of God, and it's grounded in what God has done for us. And so a lot of people will affirm uh, that God is love. I'm sure if you go up to any person on the street, as long as they're not an atheist, if they have any kind of belief in God, they will agree with you if you ask them, is God love? But how do they know that? How do you and I know that? How do we have a confidence? Well, look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. So the love of God did not remain far off. It did not remain distant. The love of God is is not some sort of mystical vapor floating around. And if we can just tap into these wonderful feelings, the love of God is real and concrete and manifest. That means it comes near. That means it shows itself. That means we have plain, objective evidence of the love of God. The love of God is more than a feeling. It is not dependent upon your feelings. The love of God is grounded and has been made manifest, exposed and opened up to you in that God sent His Son to die for a people. Jesus Christ came and was manifest in our midst. The same word is used in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life, and this is a way of referring to Jesus, that life was manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has been made manifest to us. So there are people at this church going away from right truth and right doctrine. They're believing that Jesus Christ did not truly come in the flesh. And John is saying, we saw him. He was there. And he was manifest. He was in our presence. And we touched him. To touch Jesus Christ is to touch God in the flesh. And in a similar way, the love of God has been made manifest to us. The same clarity that they had in seeing Jesus Christ, in knowing that He was there, is the same clarity that you and I have when we hear the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It brings a clarity to us that God really does love us because He sent His Son to die for us. You know these verses well. John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And this is the part I always forget. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's verse 17. I know 16 really well. I had it down when I was a kid. 17 I'm a little wobbly on. God sent his unique son to us to die on the cross to show us his love. It's not merely, although it is this, but it's more than this, that God sends his son to earth in the flesh. That in and of itself shows us God's love. That God would come down. But our sin would continue to separate us from God and from this love if God didn't take the next step and send his son not only to earth, but up onto that cross to die for us. So we have Jesus, the unique son of God. The King James Version often translates this this word unique or only son of God as only begotten. You know, the Bible talks about us as believers being sons of God, right? We're we're children of God. We're adopted into his family. We experience the new birth, so we become part of uh, the family of God, children of God, sons of God. But the Bible talks about Jesus being a son of God in in an entirely different manner. And so he's described as the only begotten the one and only Son of God. Meaning Jesus is the Son of God in a way that you and I are never children of God. We are adopted into the family. We are created beings made in the image of God and that image is restored to us in our salvation. However, Jesus is God the Son, eternally dwelling with God the Father in this Father and Son relationship. One with God. They share in the same glory, the same majesty, the same power. When we worship God, we are worshiping a being who exists in three distinct but united persons. He is a father and the father is not the son. There is God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. There is God the Holy Spirit, but He is not uh, the same as the Father and the Son, and yet they are in their entirety truly God. We know that there is a part of this where it comes down to a mystery, and we just have to take Scripture at its word. And Scripture says in 1 John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So you have in the beginning when God created everything was the word. He was already there from eternity past. And the word was with God, meaning there is the son, Jesus, the word who is dwelling with God, the father. And then it says, and the word was God. That in terms of their deity, the Father and the Son are one. They are both equally and in their entirety God. They are one. But in terms of their distinctions, they are different persons. You know this to be true when you pray. 
You can address the Father and you call Him God. You can address the Son and you call Him God. And you're talking to two different persons. And we know that instinctively. When you worship in our songs, we have songs and hymns and choruses that will sing a line to the Father and a line to the Son and a line to the Holy Spirit. And yet in our worship, we know that as we gather, we are not tritheists, right? We are not worshiping three different gods. We know we are worshiping one God. So the sonship of Jesus Christ is unique because it is an eternal sonship. This is who Jesus is for all eternity past. The sonship of Jesus is unique because Jesus Christ fully shares in all of the divine attributes. He shares in the eternal glory of God. Jesus himself says, I and my Father are one. When God saves his people, it's the working of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because they are one God. The sonship of Jesus is unique because there is an eternal Father-Son love relationship. And we could even say there's an eternal Father-Son-Holy Spirit love relationship between distinct persons. God in his perfections didn't need anything before he created. He was enjoying himself as a trinity with interflowing love between the persons in the one Godhead. Not only did God decide to create us, when we sinned and walked away from him, God decided out of the sheer goodness of his character to extend his love to those who didn't deserve it. And in doing that, God the Father sends God the Eternal Son to earth and the Son takes on true humanity without setting aside His deity. And the love of God comes so that we might live. The end of verse 5, or excuse me, verse 9, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. The love of God is, is not like a voice crying off in the distance, a, a faint echo that we can barely hear. The love of God is, is not like going to an antique store you, where you, you take the little kids into the antique store and you have to hold their hands because there are signs everywhere that say, do not touch, do not approach, don't get so close, we don't want you to break this, this is precious. The love of God is precious, but God brings it near to us in a tangible way so that we might live forever with him. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The love of Christ is real. The love of God is real because Christ manifested manifested it to us in his coming to earth, in his dying on the cross. And that's our second point this morning. God's love is that he loved us before we loved him. You see, Jesus Christ came so that we might see the love of God and in that love have eternal life. But that love came before we loved him. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. 
to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll talk about that last phrase in a minute. But notice, not that we have loved God. God's love comes before our love. You, you cannot repeat this uh, enough. God's love comes first. God initiates. We were not lovable people. That God found us to be good, to be kind, to be worthy of His love. And so therefore He extended it. When I dated my wife, I tried to be a nice person to her. I would get her little flowers. Uh, when we were at Victory Valley, I, I one time took a little ping pong ball that had been broken. It had been crushed in, so it had like a flat side, and it was no good anymore in the, on the ping pong table. But it, it sat perfectly when you set it. It wouldn't roll off like a shell. So I put this little smiley face on it, and I think I might I might attach a little note to it. And I, I would surprise her with these little things in the mailboxes. Uh, I was, if I do say so myself, I was a, I was a nice guy. And uh, she, she's laughing, you know, whatever, okay. She fell in love with me. She didn't fall in love with me because I was a jerk. Uh, she didn't fall in love with me because I treated her horribly. God loved us, not because of who we were, but in a real sense, in spite of who we were. Rebelling in our sin, not even crying out to Him, not even wishing to experience the love of God. You know, think about this. If God loved us because we were lovable, He would be like any other human being. Jesus says even sinners, even tax collectors, which, which tax collectors in that day and age, they, they were not reputable government servants. Uh, sometimes they aren't even reputable government servants today, but that's not for here or there. Um, they were like loan sharks charging high interest, bribing people, taking bribes. They were corrupt officials. So ta- calling someone a tax collector, referring to t- tax collector, you're, you're talking about scum, okay? You're talking about the lowest of the low. We would talk about mobsters and hitmen and pimps today. And Jesus says even tax collectors love people who love them. Uh, Matthew 5.46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Wicked human beings love those who love them. And if God loved us because we loved him first, there would be nothing unique about his love, nothing special about his love. We could find that love anywhere on this earth. But God loves us even when we did not love him. God's real and genuine love is that he loved us while we were yet sinners. And we always need to remember that those aspects of sin include our open rebellion to him. Shaking our fists at him, cursing him, if you will, if not outright in our hearts as we we walk away from him. That's what sin is. And yet, God extended his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We weren't even sitting in our sin, wallowing there and saying to God, won't you please help me? And then he says, well, now I will show you love so that you can respond. We were walking away from God, wanting nothing to do with him. 
Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. You know these verses well. Uh, If you want to turn there, please do. Romans 5, 6 through 8, and then verse 10. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we weren't godly. We weren't responding in a right way. But he died for us while we were ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Meaning, you know, occasionally you might die for someone who's a good person. It goes on, though perhaps for a good person, one would even die. Occasionally in this life, people will sacrifice their lives for their family, for noble causes. But people do not die for the scum of the earth. And yet Jesus died to show the love of God for those who were rebelling against him. Romans 5 eight, but God's love but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled by the death of his son, how much more will are yeah, now that we are reconciled will we be saved by his life? Notice that if while we were enemies if while we were enemies we were reconciled by the death of his son. The Son comes bringing the love of God while we are enemies. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sure you have read these verses countless times, describing us, verses 1 through 3. And while you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's, there's two descriptions here. We are, are dead in our sins meaning we don't want to do anything to respond to life in God. And in that deadness of our sins, we are living out in active rebellion, gratifying whatever thing pops into our minds and into our hearts that we think will make us feel good, disobeying all the commands of God. And then it says this in verse 4, Verse 3, even while we were by nature children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There it's talking about the active power of the cross as it comes to us to convert our hearts. But God in this great love, because of the great love with which He loved us. It doesn't say because of the great love which we showed to Him, God showed love and mercy to us said we were by nature children of wrath living this out enjoying this and God shows us love it is a love like no other the originator of the love of God is God his motivation is his love 
His grace, His mercy. There is nothing outside of God that causes Him to move to us. There's no influence that we bring, persuasion that we put upon God. God looks down at us, sees us as sinners and says, I love them and I will send my son to them to die on the cross to manifest my love so that they might live and in turn love me and respond. The Bible even says that in love he predestined us to this love. In love he predestined us for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why did God extend love? Why did God extend love to you and I if we are so wretched and so bad? The temptation of all of us in our human hearts is to start to say, well, maybe I wasn't that bad. Maybe God saw some potential in me. So that's like saying, well, I know I was bad at the time, but God saw what I could be. And that's why he loved me. It's like going to the animal shelter and seeing the the ugliest dog in the cage and saying, you know, if that dog just had a bath, I know that that could be the sweetest puppy. And I'll love that dog because I see what it can become. God doesn't love us because he sees what we can become. God loves us because he decided to love us. God loves us because he is the one that planned and purposed to initiate that love. That is so hard for us to get our minds around. Because every kind of love that we experience in this earthly life, even the puppy dog love that your dog gives you, He licks you back and you derive warmth and pleasure from it and you get something good out of it. You love that you have with your spouse. There's a give and a take and there's an equality to that relationship. The love that we have for God comes from the love that he has for us. And it will never, my love for God will never be equal to this unconditional love that he has for me and that he had for me before the foundations of the world and that he initiated to the praise of his glorious grace, to the magnificence of his purposes. God loves us in such a way that God gets all the credit, that God gets all the glory. So some application thoughts for you, some ways to to make this practical and to take this home. Out of love, God has accomplished your salvation so that you do nothing on your own. You see this love that God has for you, it's living and active and he initiates this salvation and he sends Jesus Christ so that you and I might live. Second, God wants you to bask in all of his glory. You know what it means to bask? Think of being outside on a warm spring day. You know those those days where the air's a little chilly? There's maybe a light breeze going and you, you step into the warm sun and it just kind of like lights up your face. And, and the longer you stay in the sun, the more you warm up. You stay in the sun long enough, you, you start to think maybe I should get, get, get sh- uh, shorts on. Because it just heats you up. 
God wants us to bask in his glory and and reflect upon his love in that same sort of way. God wants you to marvel at the wonder of his love. What kind of love is like this? Who does these things? God and God alone. One of the great stories of love in scripture is um, the story of, of Hosea. Uh, When was the last time you read the Minor Prophets, the book of Hosea? God tells Hosea, a prophet, to go out and marry a woman who's a prostitute. And he says, this woman is going to cheat on you even after you get married. Tells Hosea up front. And he says, go love her. Go give her new clothes to put on. Go take her into your house even though she was out sleeping around in in vile sinfulness. And it's an example. It's an analogy of the kind of love that God has for us. We were cheating on Him. And He took us and gave us to Jesus Christ as the bride of the church walked us down the aisle in a beautiful white dress that Jesus purchased on the cross for us and makes us his own to show us his love. You know, we talk about being biblical as a church. Sometimes we might even talk as the Bible Fellowship, we talk about being uh, reformed, having this picture of God's sovereignty in all of life. You might occasionally hear the word Calvinistic. We believe God is in control of all things. But really the true Christian teaching is that we put God first and at the top of all things. And when we talk about his love and when we put his love at the top of all things, we have to look and say, this love is like nothing else we've ever experienced. God in his love initiates. God in his love accomplishes what he needs to do. God in his love effects and applies. God in his love actually transforms us, giving into our hearts that love so that we can respond. And God is the, in his great glory, and God in his love does all the work from start to finish. I was going to talk briefly in point number three about propitiation. And I'll just say this. We, 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 we used that word last week. And that word means that God took his wrath that he had for sin and he poured it out onto Jesus Christ. He loved the Son from all eternity past. The Father and the Son together were willing that the Son should come to earth, that Jesus Christ should go up and hang on that cross. And while he is on that cross, that curse, he bears the punishment right there for our sins and exhausts all of the anger that God has for sin. All of that, we are dead in our trespasses. All of that active rebellion that that warrants and merits the wrath of God is paid for right there because God loves us and pours his wrath for our sin out onto Jesus who he loves even more 
so that they together could accomplish the love that we need to bring us into the presence of God. We had a skunk in the church this week, and that skunk left an odor. And we had to work really hard to get that odor out. Uh, I think we sprayed it. We, we did. We sprayed a whole can of Febreze in here over about a three-day period. Our sin is a stench worse than skunk smell in the nostrils of God. And God doesn't cover it up. God doesn't burn a few candles, cover it up in the sense of sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not there. God doesn't pinch his nose and walk around us. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to show the love of God, to remove the wickedness of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an active love. It's a real love. God doesn't want you this morning to rely on how you feel to know if God loves you. If you're a Christian for any amount of time, you've experienced ups and downs and struggles, and we have those moments where we wonder, why in the world does God even love me? I sinned again. Dear Christian, God loved you while you were stuck in your wickedness and your ungodliness. Do you not think he's going to love you to forgive your sins if you bring them before him, if you confess them? You're his child now. Out of his love, he's adopted you. How much more will he forgive those sins that you commit, even as a Christian, if you bring them before him? Don't rely on your feelings. Rely on the cross. Even more, sometimes you'll run into people, and maybe you're here or maybe you've been here, where your feelings lie to you. People think that God loves them even when they don't know Jesus Christ. They think they're fine. We're not. The only way to experience the love of God is to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I believe that he paid the penalty for my sins. Because that is where we find love. And when we come to the cross, we find out that it's not that we love God, but that He loved us and is forming that love in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just pray that You would be with us today, that You would remind us of the power of Your love, that when we struggle with knowing this love, when we struggle with, with feeling this love, we pray that we would return to the cross of Christ. Lord, that is the only way to experience your love, to receive the forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you loved us so that we might actually live. Your cross accomplishes what we, you intended it to. It brings us to salvation. It works faith in us. It imparts love to us. And this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your Son to completely pay 100% of the penalty and the wrath that you had for our sins. Where our sin abounded, your love abounded all the more. 
where you had wrath for our sins, your love has abounded all the more as you sent your most precious, most holy, most loving Son to pay the penalty for us. We thank you for this. We marvel at this. Lord, I just pray that as a church, that this would fuel us. Even this week, that we might have the courage to talk to someone new about the the wonder of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers because you have shown us love. In your precious name we pray. Amen.